So there's such a thing as, as being consciously competent and being unconsciously competent. Then September 11 hit, I lost the money for my dad and I found myself completely broke. Most of us don't really know what we want. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Vault Hill and Najahi Events. Today's guest is somebody I've wanted on this show for a long, long time. Vision Lakiani, the founder and CEO of Mind Valley, is with us today. Now, this is an app that has been developed over the course of the last few years with over $100 million in revenue. I'm pretty sure you've heard about Mind Valley, and if you haven't, you've probably been lying under a rock. Let's cue the music and get into this fascinating podcast with a guy that is making his life all about people's well-being and living their fullest potential. Cue the music. Vault Hill is the world's first human-centric metaverse that's opened its doors for brands and entities to launch their presence in the metaverse in only 48 hours. This is the fastest activation ever and the first time ever any metaverse has offered this. Upon this activation process, brands will receive free virtual land in Vault Hill City and can give life to their metaverse presence by buying buildings in the Vault Hill marketplace and deploy it on their dedicated V-Land. Then brands can customize their land using unbounded creativity, they can display their own NFTs or upload different media, logos, or digital creations to start to capitalize from their digital assets. Go check out vaulthill.io. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. I feel like I've known you for an awful long time, but welcome to the show, Vision. Thank you, Spencer. It's really interesting, like following your journey. But and when I when I talk to people about you, it's like everyone knows Mind Valley. It's that brand has been built that everyone really recognises. But I'm not sure everybody knows what Mind Valley actually is. So, for the benefit of the people that are listening and watching today, maybe we could just start there and tell us your journey about how Mind Valley started for you and what led you to that place. So I moved to Silicon Valley when I was around 25 or 26 years old. And um, I borrowed 30 grand from my father. And what I was trying to do as a graduate of computer engineering was invent a new type of community technology, online community technology. But my timing sucked. The dot-com bubble burst in that one year I was there. Then September 11 hit, I lost the money from my dad and I found myself completely broke and unable to pay rent and sleeping on the couches of in, in friends' apartments. And so in that time, I was sending out my resume to like every company that was hiring for every little position, but no one was really hiring me because there was such a, a massive glut of uh, uh, unemployed people in Silicon Valley. There were not enough jobs. So finally, I land this job and it's a dialing for dollars job. I have to pick up the phone and sell software to lawyers. And I know nothing about sales. I'm a coder, I'm a geek. I have no idea how to communicate, let alone to lawyers. Every day I pick up the phone, I try to get a lawyer to listen to my pitch about our case management software, and these lawyers would be furious because I dared interrupt them in the middle of their busy day. And worse, I had Texan lawyers. 
And lawyers get very, very, very creative with their language when you interrupt them. <laughs> so one day after being told to F off, maybe for the 14th time, I sank into a depression and I got on Google and I typed in something along the lives of uh, the, the, the lines of, why does my life suck so bad? Or what can I do to actually succeed in my career? And somehow I find this class on meditation. So I fly to LA, I take this class, and this class is about accessing altered states of consciousness and then using these altered states to, to manifest, to improve the healing capacity of your body, to visualize your goals. And one of the things it said is, the, the person who was teaching this class was a facilitator and she was a pharmaceutical sales rep. And she said, learning these techniques had made me the top salesperson in my company. So I thought, sold. I fly to LA, I take this class, and I learn things that, that blow me away. One of the things was the power of intuition, how you can access altered states and then make lucky guesses. Another thing was visualizing your life and being able to somehow accelerate your movement towards those goals. So I go back to my sales job. Now, sales was very data-driven. I know the exact number of calls I have to make. I know the exact number of receptionists who are going to hang up on me. I know the exact number of lawyers who are going to give me 10 minutes of their time. Everything is being tracked. And back then, this was 2002, we used the yellow pages. So we'd go to the library, check out the yellow pages, and call every name from A to Z in order. I decided to try something different. I went into my altered state of mind. I ran my fingers down the yellow pages, and I would just listen. And every now and then, I'd feel this impulse, yes, or this impulse, no. I would only call the yeses. And overnight, I doubled my sales. I just doubled it from listening to that voice within. So my boss was pretty impressed, and he asked me, what did you do? You just doubled overnight. And I said, I think they call it intuition. And my boss said, now nah, that's bullshit, but can you keep doing it? And so I start going into these other aspects of mine, visualizing myself hitting my targets. I double my sales again. Setting intention, um, setting um, um, goals in, in, in unique ways. One of the things I learned from this class is that before getting on a sales call with someone, you meditate, you close your eyes, you see them in front of you, and you set an intention that whatever is best for everyone concerned will be so. Again, I doubled my sales. In four months, I'm promoted three times, and I go from super junior to vice president of sales. The company ships me out to New York. I'm now running their New York office. I'm only 26 at this point. And I'm running an office as vice president of sales, leading men who were in their 40s. So I stay with the company for 18 months. And then I grow jaded because I, I feel like I'm using all of these skills. And what am I doing? I'm just selling software. So I decided to quit and become a meditation teacher. And that was the beginning of Mind Valley. I created Mind Valley as a simple website to get people to come into these classes where I was teaching people how to access their mind. I got certified, uh, so the organization was called the Silva Method, and they've been around since the 1950s. Um, I got certified in the Silva Method methodologies. Today, just uh, being completely transparent, Mind Valley has the exclusive rights to the Silva Method. So it's now one of the 70 programs on our platform. But back then, it was me teaching this class. And I had to figure out how to get people into these classes. So I built a website, which turned into a platform, and that platform became Mind Valley. And what I take pride in today with Mind Valley is that we are probably the most effective platform for mind, body, and spirit because of the way we combine tech with learning design, 
with curating the best programs and the best teachers in the world. And I act as an explorer of sorts. I go, I meet these teachers, I, I work with them, I study them. And over the last 15 years, I've assembled 70 programs which are on our platform. And today, Mind Valley works uh, as a subscription for a simple subscription of around between 399 to 499 a year. You get access to everything. And our programs are called Quest because they are modeled after computer games. In other words, 10 minutes every day, you get an assignment. 10 minutes every day, you get an idea and you belief system and you practice. But these things stack up. And at the end of seven days or 14 days or 21 or 28 days, you suddenly find you have tripled your reading speed. You suddenly find that your memory has improved. You suddenly find that you're a better parent. You're, better, you're a better lover, that the way you show up as a boss or the way you show up in terms of productivity has completely transformed because we are working directly on your belief systems, your habits, and your very way of showing up in the world. And that's what Mind Valley is about today. So for the benefit of everyone right now, you and I have never met each other. No. Okay, I've obviously followed you for a long time, but just so everyone knows that's watching and listening to this right now, we've never met, yeah? No. What you've just said to me, has just freaked me out a little bit. Why? Because I'm a salesman, mm -hmm. and all of the all of what you described to evolve that process for you, I would describe as I would have described before right. five minutes ago as a lot of woo woo. And the reason I would have described it is I, I my brain thinks much more practically than that. Right. And I, I, and I want to share this with you because this is as you've been saying this, it's just blown me away a little bit. I've been really successful in sales. Mm -hmm. And so I started like you, okay, cold calling. That right. was my job. So exactly the same as you. My boss said to me on the first day of my cold calling job, I want you to go and get 100 people to say no to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? He's like, just go and do it. So I went to it, got the 100 people to say no. At the end of the day, he gave me a high five, said, great job, I'll see you tomorrow. The next day, he said, go and get another 100 no's. And I'm like, another? He said, yeah. So I got another 100 no's. The third day, he said, get 99 no's today. Just get one yes. And then from then onwards, over the course of the oncoming months, it went from 99 no's to, to 98 no's. Well, 99 to 1 is okay. 98 to 2 is actually 1 in 50. 96 to 4 is 1 in 25. Okay, 90 to 10 is 1 in 10. And what he was teaching me to do was to understand rejection subconsciously and understand that rejection was essential for success. You can't just have yeses. Right. You have to earn the yes and you get them through the no's. When I think about a, a goal, what I wanted to achieve, and I'm going to share this with you because it's so important what you just said. I believed I was a financial advisor in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I believed that I was the fifth emergency service. So we've got the police, the ambulance, right. the fire brigade. We have the automobile association that helps you on the side of the road. And there's me that's on a mission to stop people messing up their money. And it's just as important as people don't mess up their money because when they get to retirement at the age of 65, they've got 30 years to live potentially, and they've got to make sure they've got enough money. So I, I believed because I was on such a mission to stop that problem existing. I just believed. I had no other way of describing it. I just believed. But what you've just done is you've just described all of these things in a different way. 
and made me understand that a lot of what people talk about visualization um uh people say say you've got to believe what's the other stuff that people say a lot um um it's in it's in the, the book the secret it's spoken about a lot it's um uh, creative visualization you know if you if you can imagine the it, secret it talks about be. manifesting or the law manifest that's right. the word manifestation and i used to look at manifestation and think what's that all about Now, the way that you achieve something is you create a goal, you work back the data, you understand the strategy, what you've got to do, then you work out the actions you need to fulfill each day. Once you've got that, then it's quite clear. And I've been coming at it from a point of view of thinking about it completely differently. And what you just said to me means I've been doing those things. I just called them different things. I have been manifesting. I have been visualizing. I have been working my mind to understand what needs to be part of my subconscious. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have a format to put it in. So there's such a thing as as being consciously competent and being unconsciously competent. I've spoken to many billionaires and I asked them, how did you get to where you are? Don't know. And some of them, they don't know. They call it luck. They are unconsciously competent. But I also know people who can map out what they did. That's consciously competent, right? That's when you truly become a great teacher. What I seek to do is to find, is to be consciously competent of these algorithms that lead to human development, that lead to human progress, that lead to better human beings. And because I'm a computer scientist, I've been able to like map it out from a data architecture point of view. So I observe 291 different human qualities. And what I seek to do at Mind Valley is find the best model of reality, which is, is, a, is, is a word I use for belief model that one can take on, or habit or process that can lead to the elevation of these qualities. So for example, what your boss was doing was essentially a process, a habitual process, getting used to rejection. But what he was teaching you was a human outcome which is called resilience or removing fear of failure. Resilience can be stress resilience. Removing fear of failure is basically not giving a damn if you get that no. So your boss indirectly had installed in you a protocol that was building up two outcomes that we actually measure in mind value. And that's when you start becoming consciously competent. When you see that, you start becoming consciously competent. So what I, what I seek to do really is When I look at someone and I know their goals and I know where they want to be in life, I map this into a data architecture model. Okay, this person needs resilience. This person needs to overcome fear of failure. This person needs um, a three-year life vision. This person needs to improve their their, um, mitochondrial energy. And then we figure out the best way to get there. That's essentially what Valley does. It's, it's, you've no idea what this has just meant the last few minutes. It's, it's, It's got me thinking about everything that I've done. My business partner, Danielle, says to me, you're brilliant at what you do, but you can't teach it because you don't know what you're doing. Right. You don't know. You just don't get how everybody else doesn't know that. You don't get because to you, it's just so simple. And you have you have no way of understanding how somebody else wouldn't get that. Tell me how Mind Valley would solve that problem for those people of trying to understand that because this is where I think is it's really important. So the first thing is most of us, most of us, and, and this is a core belief I have. I wrote about this in my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. Most of us don't really know what we want. We think we know what we want, but we don't really know what we want. One of the teachers in Mind Valley is an MBA professor by the name of Professor Sri Kumar Rao, 
very popular MBA professor. He used to teach at London Business School, Columbia, Kellogg, lines of students waiting to get into his class. Now, what made Rao different is he takes the wisdom of Eastern philosophers and injects it into the modern MBA system. So I was interviewing him for my podcast just about a month ago, and he shared with me this really interesting idea called the double illusion. And the double illusion is essentially this. We don't really know what we want. When we think we're chasing a goal, whether it's to be the top salesperson in our organization or to get that dream house in the Palm Jumeirah or to marry that particular woman that we're falling in love with, we're not actually chasing the goal. What we're chasing is the feeling that the goal gives us. You could be the top salesperson in your company, as I did, but feel unfulfilled. That's why I quit my job. I spent years trying to get to that top VP position, and when I got it, Within three months, I was miserable. I stuck at it to try to see if I could be less miserable because that was what I thought I wanted, but I was miserable. That's the first of the double illusion. We're not chasing the title. We're chasing the feeling we think the title is going to give us. And what is that feeling? Well, I wanted my parents to be proud of me. I wanted to feel accomplished. I wanted to um, um, be able to show my then girlfriend that I was marriage material because I had a fancy title. But I didn't give a damn about the position once I got it. I realized those feelings weren't directly correlated. So we're not chasing the thing, we're chasing the feeling. But here's the second part of the double illusion. Even the feelings we think we are chasing are an illusion because there's no guarantee we will get that feeling. It is a feeling we think we need. It is a feeling we think that position is gonna give us. Do my parents really care that I have a vice president title? on my business card, I bet they love me anyway. It was some weird conclusion I made in my head. And because of this double illusion that we're not chasing a thing, we're chasing a feeling, and we're not even chasing the feeling, we're chasing the feeling we think we're going to get. We are doubly wrong. So many of us set the wrong goals. So what is the answer then, right? Yeah. The answer is to get out of that tangled web of beliefs, cultural habits, and, um, rituals that we are immersed in, depending on our background, our culture, our country, our city, depending even on the language you speak, and to go within. When you go within, you move from what is essentially called immature wanting to mature wanting. And mature wanting is really being able to listen to what is it that your heart or your soul or your intuition wants you to be. Steve Jobs famously said, listen to your heart and intuition they somehow already know where you need to be. Now, when you can practice mature wanting, which is listening within, and this is why practices like meditation, stillness are so important, new insights, new ideas come to you. And they're not always apparent. I was meditating one day when I suddenly had this, this insight that I needed to quit my job. That same day I went for a walk. I remember it was 2003. It was a rainy day in New York. And I decided to just continue walking in this rain. And I suddenly had this vision come to me. And this vision was teach meditation, teach wellness, teach personal growth. And it made no sense because nobody I knew was doing it. And there was no money in it. But that vision, that feeling, as I was walking that rainy day in New York was so real I knew I couldn't ignore it. You know, there's this, this quote from the movie, Babe. Have you ever seen that movie about the talking pig? Yeah, yeah. Great movie, right? There's the quote where Farmer Brown speaks to himself and he says, little ideas that tickle and nudge and never seem to go away should never be ignored for in them lie the seeds of destiny. 
And that was that tickling I got. So I jumped into it. And that, what it turned out, was mature wanting. My soul knew what I needed to do. So I became a meditation teacher, and I was broke for the first five years, like miserably freaking broke. If I just stayed at my damn job, I would have been richer off five years later than I tried to dabble in meditation. But very rapidly, I figured out the formula. And Mind Valley began to form. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's how I ended up here. So the important thing to understand is that you got to listen to what's going on within. Don't get obsessed by the goals you think society, uh, don't get obsessed by the goals you think you want because often that's programming from media, from society. Try to aim for feelings, but even know that that's going to be inaccurate. But listen within, try your best to identify the, the, the directions you need to move. But the most important thing, as per Professor Rao, is this, whatever you're doing, be in a state of bliss. If you're moving towards a goal and you hate the process, you're probably going down the wrong path. But if you're moving towards something and you're enjoying the journey and you know that, hey, you may miss the destination, you may fail, you're still good because that journey is that part of, of understanding yourself. That journey gives you growth. That journey helps you course correct. That journey will make you who you are. And eventually, if you're truly following what's coming from the heart, you will strike upon that mission, that career, that, that, that life journey that's right for you. What you're saying is really resonating with me. And then I think about the clients of Mind Valley and uh, how many people use Mind Valley now? Well, in the last two years, we've had a quarter million people become members. We are a very premium service. So about mm -hmm. we've enrolled a quarter million new students. Okay. Let's talk about mediocrity mm -hmm. and people that seem to almost pursue mediocrity. The the thought of going and becoming part of Mind Valley or anything like right. that, where they can personally develop themselves and grow and become a better version of themselves in whichever format that may be, for many people is is somewhat overwhelming. And they, but it's not like they say, "Hey, I pursue mediocrity. Give me that badge." Right. It's that they call it normal or real or practical. Right. And they use those types of words rather than I know where I am today. Um, if, I, if I could be 10% better every year in whatever it might be, it's, it's not like a conversation they have. And maybe you've met people like this over right. the years. You've had conversations. I certainly have. Where I'm like, look at where you are. It's almost like you see the potential in somebody more than they see the potential in themselves. And it's, it's for me, it's almost frustrating that they can't see the potential right. they've got to be as brilliant as I can see they believe they can be. How do you how do you stop people pursuing mediocrity? How do you how do you handle that? So I don't believe in interfering with anyone's vision or anyone's desires for who they want to be. That that is actually against my principle. When I was first starting out, even with my employees, I wanted to push them to start working out more, to cut up, cut down on sugar. What I found is that they actually found that irritating and nobody liked that. <laughs> so right now, I try to live my life by example. For example, um, in 2016, I went on, um, on a, a program called WildFit and I transformed my health. I went from 22% body fat to 14% body fat, which is a huge, huge, Massive huge job, transformation. Yeah. And after I did that, uh, WildFit again is, is now part of Mind Valley. After I did that, a hundred of my employees did that because they saw how different the boss looked, how much more energy I had, how much more vitality I had, right? So I believe in, firstly, in living by example. Now, to go back to your question, 
I look at human beings based in four different levels of consciousness. The majority of people, the vast majority of people, the people that you call living in mediocrity, they are at level one, which is sometimes called victim consciousness based on my terminology. So in victim consciousness, you see the world as happening to you. If you are stuck, it's the economy, or it's your boss who doesn't recognize you, or it's your coworkers who don't get how brilliant your ideas are, or it is the pandemic, that's level one. The world is happening to you. You are a victim of the world. But at a certain point, people ascend to level two. Level two is you understand that you can shape the world. And I'd say if 70% of people are at level one, let's just say 27% of people are at level two. Level two, you set goals. You are going for Napoleon Hill training. You are writing down your goals. You have a vision board. You have maybe watched a movie like The Secret. You, you may be the type who believes in manifesting or you may be the type who believes in heart principles of goal setting and action. Doesn't matter, that's level two. You understand that the world is something you can manipulate to some degree. But level two is still only halfway there. You see, the problem with level two, I already explained, is the double illusion. The goals you think you're setting are often not the right goals for you. Why do you think so many people get married and then have a messy divorce? Or so many people start a company for freedom only to realize that they are more trapped and shackled as an entrepreneur than they were if they just stuck to their regular job, mm -hmm. right? So level two has its limitations and limitations is we don't truly know what we want. We are being programmed by society, by media, by advertising. Now, at a certain point, you wake up to level three. Level three is what Jobs was talking about when he spoke about prana or an intuitive understanding of the world. Level three is where you are going within. And it is through this practice of understanding that the world is not just something outside you that you are seeking to poke and change. You're understanding that the world is also inside you and you have intuitive insights, you have you have faculties within that you can leverage. This is where intuition, where meditation, where spiritual practices come in. So in level three, you start listening more. In, at level three, inspiration leads to intention. What this means is that inspired action drives you. I bet you when you had that idea to create that documentary you're doing, right? This incredible documentary series that you were telling me about before we started recording, it came as a flash of inspiration. You were not analyzing different opportunities. I'm sure you were doing lots of different things as well, but there was something in your soul that just made you go, this is it. There's something here. Did you feel that? Exactly that. That's level three. Inspiration is driving you because- And it was almost like I was being talked out of it to some degree. Let's right. focus on a bigger picture. I'm like, but that's the bit that matters. Right. And that's how that came to your right. So yeah. likewise, inspiration drove me to quit a job as a vice president in New York, right? And when I quit that job because I was a Malaysian citizen, I lost my visa. I had to leave America. I had to go back to Malaysia. I hated that. But the inspiration was so strong. I knew I had to do it, even if it meant leaving the United States and losing my visa. So when you get that inspiration, you got to follow it. That's level three. Now, as you continue playing at level three, something else happens. So level three, I'd say, is 2% of the population. 1% is level one. Level one, sorry, is level four. Level four, as you ascend to level four, level four is where you start understanding that the world is not 
just outside you and something you can control. It's not just inside you, but you are the world. And because you are the world, you're deeply connected to all life. You're connected to all other people. You're connected to nature. You have a home that's in your body, but planet Earth is your secondary home. You become what many philosophers who measure human development call cosmocentric. And this is where you feel a deep connection to all life. You cannot help but want to do good. It's no longer just about your goals. It's about the goals and the vision and bettering the world for human beings, for plants, for animals, for nature, and even for human beings multiple generations down. Remember that Portuguese lady you were telling me about who's going to Dhaka, Senegal, taking all these kids and then giving these kids a life, giving them a home, helping raise money so these poor kids in the slums can go to university? She's someone operating at level four. And that is what I believe we all need to aspire to be. You just drop the mic. I think we end the podcast there. That was just so fast. I, I think about that is teaching people to get to that place. Tell me how, tell me how meditation plays a role in that, because I'm I struggle with meditation. Yeah, and I think I struggle with it because of 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 what it is stereotypically described as. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, sitting on a yoga mat cross-legged in silence for right. a period of time. Mm -hmm. But I believe that the that my meditation exists, but when I run. So I go running quite regularly right. and I go hiking quite regularly as well. And when I'm doing that, I'm in my, my brain is in a completely different space. It's almost figuring my world out right. without me consciously trying to find answers. It starts to almost compartmentalize different parts of how I'm thinking. And I finished the run and my mind is in a, or a hike and my mind is in a much better place because of it. And I feel, I feel better emotionally, better psychologically, but almost refreshed right. to attack. Tell me how meditation works for you and is in, uh, compare it to what I'm doing. And am I doing anything wrong or right yeah. in my description? So I think meditation is an overused nonsensical term. I hate the term. Let me tell you why. Spencer, what does exercise mean to you? Everything. What is exercise? Uh, it, Break it down. What What are your favorite forms of exercise? What exercises do you hate? What exercises do you love? I go to the gym every morning at five o'clock. Okay, so that'll be workouts? Yeah, I work out. Weight, with weight training? training? Uh, cardio, okay. we're, we're circuits basically. Right, so circuit training. Circuit okay. training. I, I Every every Friday morning without fail, oh, sorry, Saturday morning I hike. Okay, so hiking, that's I love exercise. Hiking. Um, I love to ride my bike. Okay, so cycling. Uh, and running. Okay, great. What exercises do you hate? Um, I'm not a fan of weight training. Okay, so you don't like weight training. I'm not okay. a, I find that quite boring and not very stimulating. And But but it, uh, you said to me, Spence, hey, come play paddle tennis. I'm, I'm the first one to jump Got on the it. court. You know? so Got it. Give me so, so the exercises that you like and exercises that you hate. Now, let me ask you the same questions about meditation. What meditations do you like and what meditations do you hate? The ones that I, I believe that I've been told I need to do many years ago is that kind of sit still Got it. thing. Got it. So, so here's the thing. If you were to talk to someone, the average American in the 1950s about exercise, exercise was jumping jacks, right? Even jogging didn't exist. Do you know jogging was pretty much popularized by Nike? Mm -hmm. Jogging didn't exist. Running, if, if you were running in the 1950s in America, someone would slow down their car next to you and go, are you okay? Do you need a ride somewhere? 
So what happens is as humanity progresses, we develop discernment. We develop words and language for new types of protocols. And these protocols all have different benefits. The benefits you get from yoga are completely different from the benefits you get from hiking, completely different from the benefits you get from high intensity weight training, completely different from the benefits you get from Zumba. Now, if you are looking to improve cardiovascular health, okay, maybe you wanna do Zumba. If you're looking for musculature, you wanna do weight training. If you're looking for flexibility and peace of mind and stress relief, you want to do yoga. If you're looking for an exercise that that is easy to do, um, even as you age, even if you have like maybe bone issues or, or low stamina, hiking is wonderful. Different exercises for different needs. Now with meditation, we are still in the same era as exercise in the 1950s. People simply don't understand that there are a thousand different protocols of meditation because everybody is captivated by the image of the Hindu mystic sitting cross-legged mm. under a tree. But actually what you're really doing in meditation, and I, I don't use that word, the word I use is transcendent practice. A transcendent practice is any practice where you transcend the physical world and you go within. So you shouldn't be looking at meditation, you should be looking at transcendent practice. What are transcendent practice? Transcendent practices could be a compassion practice. Zen Roshi loving kindness practices actually increase your degree of compassion and give you more empathy, being proven by science. Another transcendent practice is gratitude. Science shows that gratitude is the single human characteristic with the highest correlation to overall well being. Another transcendent practice is forgiveness. Science is showing that forgiveness helps you sleep better, removes back pain. It uh, improves endurance for some weird reason, improves your vertical jump, makes you more understanding, increases empathy. Yet another transcendent practice is creative visualization. It helps you hit your goals by fueling your desire. Yet another transcendent practice is prayer. It makes you feel more supported. Now, the, this is what we should be looking at. Now, the meditation protocol that I popularized, and this is the subject of my, my newest book, the six-phase meditation, is that we have to quit talking about these sitting cross-legged, focusing on your breath, um, chanting type meditations because they are boring as heck. But instead, we should be layering on transcendent practices. So the six-phase meditation is six transcendent practices. I shared five here. I shared five of them. The, um, um, the, the, the one that I haven't shared yet is the act of commanding your day. And that means before you get out of bed, you sit still, you reflect on what you're going to accomplish this day and you set an intention. So for example, I sat still today in bed and I set an intention for the right to, to serve you in your podcast because you're giving me this opportunity with the right wisdom, with the right messaging to be in high energy. It's almost like self-talk, like what an athlete does, right? So by doing that as phases, and each phase takes one to two minutes, you transform the way you show up. And all of this has been validated by science. This is how people should be meditating. Okay, can I give you an example of what yeah. I do and you tell me yeah. whether I'm on the same, because it's right. something similar but different. I wake up every morning at 4.30, mm -hmm. my alarm goes off, I jump out of bed, I right. go across the hallway to the other bedroom, I have a shower, I put my gym gear on, go to the gym. I come back, I have a coffee, I have uh, another shower and I have a shave and then I stop and I have a conversation with myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And that conversation I have, I look deep into my pupils. So I try and look really deep in my pupils and have the conversation out loud, similar to what you just said you do set up. Okay. Am I a fool? 
is it ridiculous or is that just as as, as um, uh, uh, reliable as a, as a way of doing things as the way that you suggested? Or, or doesn't it matter? And can anyone do what what really right. works for them? So what you're doing is actually a very, very, very useful strategy. This idea of looking at yourself in the mirror, it turns out that it actually increases feelings of self-love and compassion. And that's something that's really important. Most people are not narcissists. Most people lack self-love because from the time we're growing up, we're told there's something wrong with us, right? Looking at yourself in the mirror, looking at your own pupil, and it depends on, on the language, but if you are looking at that with understanding, with empathy, even with saying phrases such as, I love you, I love you. You actually increase these feelings of self-love. And self-love is a very powerful uh, tool for building resiliency. So what you're doing is beautiful. You're actually practicing a transcendent practice. I said a transcendent practice is going within. When you're looking at a mirror, what are you looking at? You're looking at yourself. You are in short going within. And so what you're doing is right on point. But you can add more to it. You can add Zen Roshi loving kindness practices that make you, give you compassion. You could add a gratitude practice where you reflect on what is right in your life and you celebrate it. That has been proven to improve levels of, of uh, happiness. You could add a forgiveness practice. I mentioned the benefits of that earlier. All it, of these are practices. Isn't gratitude one of the most underrated words on the planet? Yeah. I can't believe how important gratitude has become to me once I understood the importance of it. Right. And I think that when people used to say, you know, I practice gratitude, I'd be like, what, what are you doing? You know, honestly, because they go, what are you doing? And, you, and my wife would say to me, you're never grateful. You're never grateful. You just, you're, it's always on to the next thing. Right. It's always pushing forward for, for more. It's all your, why, why don't you look at what you've got and be grateful? You know, you've got, look at the kids. They're amazing. They, you know, be grateful for that. Look at, you know, your career and the success you've had. And look at, look at everything that you're getting. Be grateful for it. And it took me a, it actually took me, I think, Sophia, who works with me to, to, to make me realize that I wasn't grateful for what I had. And the moment I started to become grateful and stopped to reflect, it made a difference. The gratitude came from Maria and the girls from Bangladesh. Wow. Because every single time I spend time with them, I walk away and someone has given me the biggest injection, the biggest boost on the planet of of gratitude because of where they are and what they've come from my worst day ever is beyond the wildest dreams of their best day ever and when I realized that you know all of a sudden my grandmother telling me as a kid you're a lucky boy I started to say to myself you're really lucky yeah you know Gratitude is a powerful thing. So as I said earlier, science shows that gratitude is the human characteristic most associated with overall feelings of well-being, right? So there was a study done on gratitude. And in this study, people expressed gratitude through writing down for two minutes what they were grateful for, a, a simple form of journaling. What they found is that after 30 days, the group that practiced gratitude was 25% happier than the group that did not practice it. 25% happier without 25% more money or 25% more love, just 25% happier. But the study was interesting. Nine months out, the gratitude group was still happier. In short, that happiness tends to be sticky. It tends to stick with you. And it leads to more gratitude and more gratitude and more gratitude. It's a virtuous cycle. 
I remember at that time in Silicon Valley when I lost the money I borrowed from my dad, when I just felt like a failure. I was uh, I was dating a girl from Estonia. Um, we 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 later ended up um, and ended up getting married. And today she's the 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 she's my former wife, but she's the mother of my my two kids, who are my biggest source of gratitude. But Christina, who which was her name, she was born in Belarus. Belarus is the last communist country in Europe, mm-hmm. the last communist country in Europe. And I remember we went there in 2002 to visit some relatives of hers in a tiny little village. So I go to this village and there's this old man and he's her uncle and um, his wife had died. So he's living in this hut and there's he's so poor, the floor is basically mud. It's a single room hut, mud. There's a pig and a dog in the hut with him. He's completely alone except for the pig and the dog. It was so different. Like I was sleeping on my friend's couch. I had no money. I had a beat up car, but at least I had a car. At least I was living in San Francisco. This man was living in a hut with a pig and a dog. And the thing is, in what I found bizarre about it was that he had nothing, absolutely nothing. And he was so alive and so happy about life. I was miserable. I was beating myself up. I was thinking I'm a failure. I was thinking the world is tough, like the dot-com bubble sucked, Silicon Valley sucked, September 11 sucked, America sucked. I was just going through all of this negative self-talk, but I realized how spoilt I was, Mm. how disillusioned we can be in the US. And so to me, being able to see someone living in utter poverty gave me this immense feeling of gratitude. I remember going back to the United States And that's when my life started changing because I realized truly how blessed I was. I was literally, I had a floor. I didn't have to walk through mud to go use the bathroom in the morning. And it was a few months after that that I got a job again. And that was when I started my journey towards building Mind Valley. Gratitude is a game changer. Okay, a couple of other subjects I want to talk about. I'm loving this conversation. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate what you've done here and to come and share this with us today. Mind Valley is taking place here in Dubai. You have your big event right. very soon, and I always think about the people out there that like the idea of it, like the idea of being part of something where they can right. work on a, a personal journey of self development in some way, but become overwhelmed with. The, the either the responsibility or, or, the, or the or the task at hand um almost and i'm going to use a really bad example here almost like giving up smoking right. it's like yeah you know oh, i want to do it because i know there's going to be benefits to it but whoa, you know this is a big old challenge and you know i might start and i might not continue do you think there's value in community learning absolutely absolutely so one of the things that makes mind valley mind valley is to focus on community we have an incredible community. In the last three months, we've had a thousand meetups all around the world that are all, so, oh, so all community run. In the last three months, yeah. a thousand meetups. Right. So all there's a big the focus on that. Massive focus on community. Uh, we we have integrated community tools in our app. I can open up the Mind Valley app right now and I can see all members around me here in the Palm and uh, members who are saying, hey, I'm open to meeting another member for lunch or coffee. And so we love community. And, and the reason we're doing this big event in Dubai now, the important thing to understand is Mind Valley is an app. It's an app and a platform on your computer. And the bulk of what we do is, is digital. 
but we do these massive events around the world because people are so transformed by the app, they want to meet other Mind Valley members. And so here in Dubai, we'll have about 1,750, 1,750 members coming together for a big event, big party this next weekend. Wow. So it's just taking that that kind of like that that remote and making it practical in exactly. person, people being able to share stories. Now you, you're you're essentially a, a B two C model. You go straight to right. the consumer market. Let's let, let's talk about you know I've I've got a corporate wellness business and right. I've been up here when we have you know many many big corporations as clients. Um, sometimes people in corporations say very positive things about this kind of stuff. Sometimes there's the kind of the, the the, the neggy types that sit down and say, why would you do that? But there's definitely a core in every company where there's a feeling that if we did this together as a company, if we were able to work on whatever it may be, I'll, I'll take someone I know, Jim Quick, for example. Right. Okay, memory and working out how you, you how you use that more effectively. How could we how could we together as a company through our HR departments get this kind of stuff put together? What would you say to those people that think about that? Well, I would say that the world is completely transformed in the last 10 years. And today, corporate wellness is actually massive. In 2018, um, Daniel Goleman, the, uh, the, uh, the professor who wrote the book, Altered Traits, in the book, he shared a statistic that blew me away. He said 45% of the Fortune 100 now provide meditation training for their employees. 45% of the Fortune 100. And this was 2018. This was four years seriously? ago. Yeah. 45% of the top companies in the world essentially are putting meditation training practices into their workforce. Making it available to their workforce. Making it available right. to their workforce. Right. That, I would have never guessed that. Yeah. That's massive. So one of the things we tend to do is we get locked in time. When we think about culture, we get locked in time, not realizing how rapidly culture is progressing. And so um, we often have these worldviews which are based on stuff that we observed or read about the world 20, 30 years ago, not realizing how incredible the human species is and how rapidly we're progressing. Let, let me ask you something else. What percentage of people, okay, I'll, I'll share a stat first. In the 1980s, 40% of the world lived in poverty. We were just talking about poverty, right? What percentage of people today do you think live in poverty? If you had to guess. 27%. It's 10%. Okay. It's 10%. We're actually five years ahead of the UN, uh, the, the UN goals on poverty reduction. The world is getting better at this incredible pace. And another example of this is that wellness is becoming so dominant in companies. Another trend that we're gonna see is the reduction of work hours to less than 40 per week. Okay, I heard you talk about this before. This is a bit of a touchy subject for me. And. Uh, I, I say it as I've just arrived this morning from a skiing right. holiday. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that believes that you you shouldn't waste time at work. Right. And I believe, but but an entrepreneur's life is different to an employee's life. Very true. And as an entrepreneur, you, you've just got to get it done. Whereas as an employee, you're getting paid whether you work right. four or five days. So there's a, a different dynamic that exists. There's also lots of people out there that need mission and purpose through work right. to find uh, their own sense of, or, or, or feel like they're part of a journey that they want to be on. Going from working five days a week to four days a week gives people an extra day off. At first, that sounds quite good. Mm -hmm. 
But then it's like, what are you going to fill your time doing? Now, arguably, you could say, well, find a hobby, find an interest right. and take your time to spend more time with your family. But as a 52-year-old man that's been indoctrinated right. you know, all of my life into a five-day working week, I've never felt that two days at the weekend is is not enough. It's always felt like well, that, you know, I've got the weekend and I get back to what I love. And I think men and women see that work differently. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we get a lot of our own value and we get a lot of our own sense of well-being and 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 self-respect from the fact that we have a job and we have a career and you know whereas women may may be and this is so stereotypical so for all of the women listening that are hating me right now i apologize but women have the opportunity or in some ways because they become the main um parent in a relationship to look at the world a little bit differently when they are why do you think we should work less? So I'm, I'm going to go further, okay? I'm going to go further. The way we see work is going to transform so much that you're going to think I'm crazy if I make the prediction I'm about to make. But first, let me talk about predictions. So when it comes to human behavior and human culture, we fail to understand how rapidly our species progresses. So I'll give you an example. Imagine people in France or Belgium or England in 1942 being told, well, while they're at war with Germany and the Soviet Union, being told that 50 years out, 50 years, the borders between the UK and Germany and France will all dissolve. And Germans could just come into the UK and work and Brits could go to Germany and Berlin and get a job and French people could just travel around and they would essentially be one country, a European Union, 50 years out. And they would say, you are crazy, right? So you can see how much changed in 50 years. Now, here's another example. In 1963, Sammy Davis Jr., the famed uh, performer, Mm -hmm. was denied a performance at Kennedy's White House for the sole reason that Sammy Davis Jr. was married to a white woman. And in 1963, it was considered so morally wrong for a black man to be married to a white woman or for a black woman to be married to a white man. It was morally reprehensible. Sammy Davis Jr. was not allowed to perform at the White House. 50 years from that date, 2013, the man who's president of the United States is the product of a white woman and a black man. But no one in 1963 would have believed that 50 years out, a half-black, half-white American would be president of the U.S. Again, in 50 years, our culture changes. 50 years from now, we will be working. Now, when I say we, I'm talking about the vast majority of human beings everywhere. We will be working two to three hours a day. That's it. And the world will be so beautiful so creative, so amazing. We are not going to be hooked into computer games. Yes, some people might play computer games, just like some people enjoy watching movies right now. But we're going to be working two to three hours a day. AI is going to take away a lot of the tasks that we do. There's going to be a massive amount of abundance in the world. Poverty, which has gone from 40% of the population to 10% of the population, is going to shrink to negligible levels. And We are not going to be a species that's going to be bored and waiting for work. We're going to spend that time exploring ourselves. And what I mean by this is health, wellness, 
exercise, meditation. You see, work gives us meaning. It gives us significance. But you know what else gives us meaning and significance? Helping other people. There'll be a lot more volunteerism. There will be a lot more cooperation. The other thing that gives us meaning and significance is working on ourselves. Just like you wake up at 5 a.m. and hit the gym, people are going to be taking care of their bodies, taking care of their minds in, 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 in new ways. I see that at Valley, it's an exponential rise in terms of people showing interest in meditation and spirituality and wellness and exercise. It's an exciting time. We will only be working two to three hours a day. And not just people in the Western world. I'm talking about globally. I'm talking about people in Malaysia. I'm talking about people in China. The idea that we once had to work 40 hours a week in the 2020s would seem ridiculous, insane, and almost near abusive. As you say that, it makes me think, with the four-day week that we see right now, Mm -hmm. if everybody took four hours of their day off, their extra day off that they get now, and they just volunteered for those four hours, and everybody did that in every community that was working a four-day week, think about what would be accomplished. Exactly. Right. It's, it's, it, it beggars belief almost to think about what if everybody, if everybody was just to work for their community or commit to some form of volunteering work, whether that be uh, an interest in human beings or, or animals or whatever that may be. Yeah, and, and we'd be... You, you we'd, we'd solve be, so many problems. Right, and not only that, but we will enter a new era of human creativity, a new era of people creating works of art assisted by AI, writing poetry. AI is going to be everywhere. AI, as we can see, whether it's poetry with ChatGPT or mid-journey being used to create art, AI, human collaboration, it's going to be a thing. But we are going to make the world so absolutely beautiful. And you're at the heart of that. In, In both ways. I try to be. Vision Lakiani, I could sit and talk to you all day. And in fact, I'm probably going to want to get you back on after the event that you're doing to talk to you some more about this wonderful work that you do. If people wanted to get access to Mind Valley, there's an app that they can use. But do they, do they have to be a member of Mind Valley through the app to be able to go to the yeah. events? Well, no, you can you can get a ticket on the event. Just go to mindvalley.com forward slash Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if you found what I shared interesting, you can always just go to mindvalley.com. And the community now has built so well over the years. Clearly, this is resonating with people, right. clearly, in, in yeah. many different ways. And, and Spencer, I, I just want to say, Mind Valley also provides a lot of free education. Um, when I walk in Dubai, I meet um, Uber drivers, I meet people in grocery stores, and they are studying Mind Valley for free on YouTube. I, I believe in, in serving the world as best as I can. And every time we do events, all our talks, for the last decade, all our talks at all our events are free on YouTube at the Mind Valley Talks channel. And so you don't need to spend a dime to learn from Mind Valley. You're a decent human being for sure. It's really impressive. I've consumed an enormous amount of your content. I've listened to you now for a number of years. You, in today's conversation, have put a lot of my questions and my confusion to one side and enabled me to think a little bit differently and that's created just in this last hour some real clarity for me and so i hope that everyone that's listening and watching this right now has got some benefit from it too but for now vision thank you so so much for taking the time thank to come you, to Spencer. this was so much fun